Hi everyone, welcome back to Seek First Podcast, where we share biblical truth and engage in today's culture. Rick Brown here. Take a minute to subscribe to Seek First Podcasts. I really appreciate it. Stick around, I think you're going to be encouraged. Spending time with the Lord will be the best part of your day. So let's get ready, grab your Bible, prepare your heart and your mind, let's roll. Hey, good evening to everybody here at God Speak. You're gonna to wanna to open to the book of Nehemiah chapter one. We are going to be sharing with you the rebuilding of a nation based upon a biblical structure that we see God by His Spirit doing through the man, Nehemiah. And in this weekend, Pastor Rob is speaking at the Council for National Policy, and uh, um, I think they're in uh, Florida or something for that event. And so I'm doing all four services, and when I have an opportunity like this, and we're in a passage that covers so much of Nehemiah, I thought I would just take these four services and do four different messages, seeing how the Lord uses Nehemiah to rebuild a, le- a, a nation, and you and I can learn some valuable lessons. If you don't know where Nehemiah is, you can look at the table of contents. That works, right? I was introduced to the book of Nehemiah. Uh, I was a young Christian. I'd been saved for two years, and I'd been reading the New Testament over and over. I'd read it probably seven times or so, and then I started reading the Old Testament, but every time I hit Leviticus, I just like crashed and burned. And so it took me a little time to to, uh, gain momentum to get through the Old Testament and catch up to Nehemiah. So we had a um, Halloween alternative event at the Calvary Chapel in Twin Falls where I had been attending um, from 19 to age 21. And they said they needed some helpers. And what they were going to do is do a Bible land. So every Sunday school room is transformed into a Bible story. And kids would come in groups of 5 to 10. We would share with them the Bible story. And then we would give them uh, hand fulls of candy so that they could get just as many rotten teeth as everybody else. And then the last one would be an epic Bible story and we would share the gospel with them. Well, I didn't know the Bible that well, especially the Old Testament stories. I was becoming very familiar with the New Testament. And the pastor, who was an artist, uh, just really a genius, and he couldn't take cardboard and a can of spray paint and just do set design. It was amazing. And so I said, hey, uh, I came. I wanted to help. And he said, well, um, I'm uh, making this, this classroom is going to be the story of Nehemiah. I said, a Nehemiah? I don't know who Nehemiah is. And he said, well, you know, you look it up in your table of contents, read it this week. Would you like to play Nehemiah in this Halloween harvest night? We called it harvest, harvest night. And I'm like, well, he goes, no, it's really easy. You're just going to tell him the story about rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, and then you're going to have this brick, and it's going to be an open brick with candy in there, and kids can take candy. It's no sweat. And that's how I was introduced to the book of Nehemiah. I went home and read the 13 chapters, and then I reread it again, and I went, oh, I get it. Fast forward 30 years, and we see our nation in a place that literally, as I look at the story of Nehemiah, and I read the morning news. I say, wow, our nation is crumbling. I'm startled by stories almost daily about things that are going on in our nation. I shared a similar story. I think I might actually have even called it Rebuilding a Nation the last time we went through this passage, but I, not this one, but in Zechariah, because you see, in Zechariah, It's a time that they're rebuilding the house of the Lord because you have to go for the heart spiritually if you're gonna rebuild a person's life. The Lord has to transform their heart. You and I know if your life has broken down and fallen apart and you go to rebuild it, it can be a huge undertaking. If your family breaks down and falls apart, But have you discovered, if you've been walking with the Lord any length of time, God is into restoring and rebuilding lives. And he's into restoring and rebuilding this nation of Israel. And that's what we're going to see in this story. Would you stand with me? We're going to start in Nehemiah chapter 1. Let's read these opening verses to begin our time, Rebuilding Our Nation, part 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, came to pass in the month Chislev. In the 20th years, I was in Shushan, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. 
And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Lord, we pray before you, the God of heaven, and we humble ourselves before you right now. And Lord, we pray for our nation. We pray for our president. We pray for our congressmen, the senators, the representatives. Lord, we pray for our governor in this state and also the legislators in Sacramento. Lord, we pray that you would pour out your spirit and that you would break into their world and bring them to the end of themselves that they might fall on their knees and look up to heaven and say, Jesus is Lord. That you would download into them the wisdom of God, the truth of your word, that they might lead us in a way that turns back to you. Lord, we humble ourselves. We pray that you would forgive us as a nation for turning us back on you. And we pray that as the remnant cries out to you and seeks your face, that you would hear from heaven and you would come and heal our land. Lord, we pray. From the very depth of our soul, Lord, would you have mercy on us and this nation. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, as I laid out these four messages for this weekend, I'm using a little simple acronym for the outline, Rebuild Our Nation Now. Each one of these letters represents a portion of scripture as we're cruising through it. And as we just read this opening verses, reality should motivate us. When I look around, you see some people want to stick their head in the sand. Some people want to just ignore what's going on. It's almost like they're going through this period of time with the cultural upheaval that's going on in our nation with their hands over their eyes and their hands over their ears. They don't want to hear any evil. They don't want to see any evil. And especially those who might be older, you're like 60, I'm almost 60 years of age, and you're like, well, praise God, I don't have to watch it happen because I'm almost out of here. It's almost this escapist type of mentality, a little bit like when the prophet Isaiah came to Hezekiah and he said, well, you know, judgment's going to come after this 15 years. And he goes, oh, oh, well, at least it'll be peaceful in my time. But if you really love your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids and you really want the posterity to understand the most valuable experience a person can experience is freedom and liberty. An uh, individual, when we're in the bondage of sin, when we come to Christ and the sun sets us free and we're now free, there's nothing more liberating than since that freedom and your love with God. But also to live in a nation that is expressing that freedom and that liberty as well. And as soon as man gets in charge and we see that socialism and communism, these things that are coming in, it oppresses man and puts him in bondage so that now you're, you're hiding from an oppressive tyrannical government, and where we have had the privilege of such unprecedented freedom and liberty. And the children of Israel, when they were right with God, they were a free people. And when they were wrong with God, they were in bondage. And what's true for them is true for us. You see, God measures time, not chronologically, but morally. As when he said to Abraham, hey, I'm going to give you the land of Canaan in 400 years. But the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Meaning that he was measuring the time of the evil and the wickedness of the immoral decline of this pagan culture, so much so that when the children of God came in, they were instruments of judgment to bring judgment to a wicked, evil society of people that sacrifice children to their gods. And we are now a nation that sacrifices its children to gods, false gods. Not only that, but the politicians that you saw at the State of the Union this last week that replaced their American flag with an abortion pendant with a heart on it. I love child sacrifice. I love abortion. Now, even if you exercise the freedom with your body to take the life of a child, who would celebrate the murder of a little baby? Who in their right mind? America, that's who. And how can you take innocent lives and not expect 
the very judgment of God. In this passage, years before Zerubbabel and Joshua and Ezra have went back through the command of Cyrus to go rebuild the temple. They've been rebuilding the temple. That's been going on. So the heart of the nation now is turning to the Lord. But when Nehemiah gets the command to go forth and rebuild this wall, as we're going to see in this passage, he's going to rebuild the walls. Did you notice what, how it explained things? It says, those who had survived the captivity and concerning Jerusalem at the end of verse 2, and they said to me, the survivors who are left from captivity in the province are there in great distress and pro- reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and its gates are burned with fire. The symbolism of Jerusalem, the heart of the children of Israel, is the temple, their heart relationship with God. But once you get your life right with God, then the Lord gives you walls of defenses, right? And so these walls go up and the gates are on your life in a picture, in a metaphor, in an allegory to let the right things into your life and to close the doors on the wrong things. In your practical life, we call that self-control, right? Self-control is the fruit of the Spirit. It's to say yes to the right things and no to the wrong things. That's the fruit of the Holy Spirit of self-control. And the children of Israel, now that they've got their life right back with the Lord in the temple, now he's going to be rebuilding the outer walls and the gates so that they can now allow in good things and keep out bad things. That happens in your life. I've so over the years seen so many people that are addicts, whether it's alcoholism or drug addiction, and they get radically saved, and their life has been literally a dumpster fire, right? They've burned every bridge. They've hurt every family member. Nobody wants to see them coming. They've robbed from them. They've ripped them off. They've hurt them. And all of a sudden, this person that's now been a Christian for a month looks at me and goes, hey, I went and told all those people I'm a Christian now, and they still don't want anything to do with me. That's not right. And I'm like, dude, you've been burning bridges for 20 years, and you gave them 30 days now to straighten up and accept you back in? It takes a little time to rebuild trust. You've made a mess of your life, but now you're beginning to have the strength, the defenses, the, the walls are going up in your life, not to keep people out. It's to allow good things into your life and to keep out the bad things that are destructive to your life. Nehemiah is so overwhelmed here. First, you have to connect with reality. You have to look at our nation where it's at and be honest. You gotta be brutal about reality if you're gonna face it and and face it courageously. Secondly, to entreat God for his help in verse four. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days, I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. He had a heart for his countrymen. He had a heart for Jerusalem. He had a heart to rebuild the walls. He was sad that the the city of his forefathers was all broken down. I feel that same burden. Do you feel that same burden? As you look at our nation, you see the grief of it, and there's times that you're reading things, there's times that you're praying about things. In this last three years, there's times I've just been totally overwhelmed, just with a heaviness and a grief. And that is so big and it's so insurmountable, it's like, man, I should just go to the woods. (laughs) right? Why did I come from Idaho to come hang out with you guys? That's a bad decision. That's not very wise. But you have to connect with reality, and the reality is what we see around us. And so I have to entreat God for his help, because God is able to minister and move in any situation, because you see the God we serve, there is nothing impossible for him. Everything's impossible for me apart from him, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And the beauty is coming to that realization that if I abide in Christ, I will bear much fruit. But apart from him, I can't do anything fruitful. And so Nehemiah is plugging in. He's abiding in the Lord. His heart is broken for his nation. His heart is broken for what he hears in his ears. And so that brokenness is the doorway to repentance. He's not only he's gonna repent for himself and on behalf of his, his family, his uh, forefathers, just when we pray for repentance for our nation, I'm not somehow praying that for my next door neighbor. I'm standing in the gap saying, God, forgive us as a people, as a nation, identifying. In verse five, I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, 
you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your ears open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you, both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. You can't see a devastated nation and be overwhelmed with the heartbreak of that and not step up and say, I have some ownership in this. My family does. The, the sin of my neighbors, the sin of our, our community. It's not just those people over there because you see humility is stepping in the gap and every great servant of the Lord, whether it's the repentance that Nehemiah goes through or the repentance in Daniel chapter nine where Daniel's one of these extraordinary individuals that there's never anything negative said about him and yet he, he repents in identification with the people in such brokenness because you see Nehemiah and Daniel and you and me are fallen creatures that fall short of God's glory. I miss the mark of being who God wants me to be. And so this brokenness is the doorway to bring me to a place of repentance and confession of sin so that I can get right with God and I can get back on track and I can get restoration, whether it's repentance with God and restoration or repentance with the people that I've heard around me and begin to rebuild that life that God has for us, each one of us. Maybe there's some things you're wrestling with right now, just in your life. And that brokenness will bring you to a place of really wanting to get right in repentance with God. Because repentance is simply changing your mind, that you're going this direction, and when I repent, it means I turn 180 and I start going God's direction. And God's Spirit wants to bring us constantly back in harmony and communion with God because that is where the abundant life flows from. That's the spout where the blessings flow out. It's just under this grace, intimacy, and experience with God and the goodness of God. But there's got to be an understanding of God's promises that increases faith. You see, Nehemiah is not only pouring his heart out in repentance, he knows God's word and the promises of God's word. And if you know the promises of God's word, you see, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. The more I know God's word and the more I lean on those promises, and in prayer, I remind the Lord of the promise that he gave to me and he gave to you. That's what Nehemiah does here. I love praying God's word back to him, reminding him what he said. I do it all the time. Hey, you said, <laughs> and he can't lie, right? And so I'm constantly, and it increases my faith, because if he gives me a promise, and I believe that promise by faith, then there is a overflowing that heads towards me of this land of milk and honey, the promised land of being in the midst of God's promises and in relationship with him. So understanding God's promises increases faith. Verse eight, remember I pray the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. And that's exactly what happened. They were unfaithful. They got scattered all over the world. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest part of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there, here, there, excuse me, bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Yes, Lord, I know that when we're disobedient, you will cast us away from the land of Israel, but as soon as we turn in repentance, even if we're all the way around the planet, you will bring us in restoration back into a relationship with you. Isn't it so cool that the Lord never gives up on us? You know, the prodigal goes off, he's had it with his dad, his dad's such a, a great guy, and he just wants to take the cash and go blow it in the big city in the red light district. His brother tells him he spent all his money as a, a drunk and with prostitutes, and he just blew his cash and easy come, easy go, and then he's, he's, he's so hungry that he has to go to work to make a living, and he goes to work for a pig farmer, and the pig farmer has him feeding these hogs, and, and he's feeding these, these pods, some kind of maybe pea pods or whatever. If you ever saw hogs, they eat absolutely everything, right? And so, but he looks at these pods that he's gonna feed the pigs, and he actually, I think I wanna eat their food, I'm hungry. I'm so hungry, the, the pig food looks good to me you know you're in bad shape, right? When you're slopping hogs and their food looks good. But a hungry soul is a hungry soul. And it's in that moment that the light bulb goes off in his mind and he goes, ah, 
It says he came to himself. Isn't that a great phrase? He came to himself. Well, where's he been all along? <laughs> well, he's been lost. He came to himself. The light bulb goes in. He goes, what am I doing here? What am I doing feeding pigs? My father has servants, and though I've been such a bad son, I'm no longer worthy to be called his son, but I can go be a servant in his household. They have plenty of food to eat. I'm going to go home, and I'm going to tell dad, I've sinned against heaven, dad, and I've sinned against you. Please forgive me, and I'm going to come home. He's a long ways from home. And then that story in Luke 15 when Jesus tells it, and now the prodigal's coming. You can, can't you just picture him in this story rehearsing his conversation with his dad? Because you've got to eat some serious humble pie, right? You've been out, you thumbed your nose at dad, you took his cash. And, and you see, when he got, his older brother had two-thirds of the inheritance. This is Jewish law. He would have got one-third of the inheritance. He was basically saying, you never ask a parent for the inheritance before your dad dies because you're basically saying, I wish you were dead because I want your money. But he asked for it, and his dad was very gracious, gave it to him. Comes back. But his dad sees him coming a long way off, which means he was watching for him. And it says he ran to him and threw his arms around him and kissed him. He was waiting for him to come home. He's waiting for him to get right with him. And for some here tonight, maybe the Lord's still waiting. I mean, your body's in the house, but it doesn't necessarily mean your heart is. Nehemiah reminds the Lord of his promise. I know that we were scattered for a reason. It was our sin. But Lord, for the same reason, when we turned to you in repentance, you said you would bring us home. So bring us home, Lord. We want to intercede for opportunities. So now he's, he's seeking the Lord. Verse 10, now these are the, your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name and let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king, king's cupbearer. He says, Lord, give me favor, because I'm at the right hand, the king's cupbearer, and I'm with him every day. And so, Lord, I'm praying now for the opportunity that as I intercede for you to work and to bring me home to help rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, I'm praying for this guy because the opportunity to go do that, this man's in the way because he, I'm his slave. He's my boss. And so, Lord, I need you to move on his heart and to give me favor. You ever pray for favor with those you're interacting with? Maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's an individual that you're, you have some business negotiation. Maybe it's a neighbor. You can intercede for God to work because God has a plan, but oftentimes other people are a part of that plan, right? And you're praying to invite through God because you, you can't just straight up ask. You know God's got to do it. God's got to open the door to the king's heart because it's a very dicey thing to mess with a monarch back in that day. They might just chop your head off. They might throw you in prison. You don't know what they might do because they have all authority and your life is very expendable. So he's praying for the Lord to move. Now, I, what I love about this is that Nehemiah has been praying. He's been fasting. He's been seeking the Lord now for a few months, three or four months. And as he's seeking the Lord and he's praying for favor, then the Lord opens the door. Now, it's one thing to think about things in a vision of, hey, I'd like these things to happen, or in some kind of fictional theory, but when the door opens and you have to walk through it, that's what requires real faith. And you're going to see a big gulp, if you will, <laughs> as he now has this opportunity before the king. Launch your mission when the door opens. It's easy to talk about things. It's easy to pray about things. It's another thing to get on your donkey and go 500 miles and go rebuild a wall. That's a big deal. In verse 1 of chapter 2, it says, And that came to pass in the month of Nisan, that's not a vehicle, that's a month, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence before. It is an execution sentence to be sad in the presence of a king. They will take your life. That's why they have court gestures, gestures to make them happy, to joke around, to laugh. Everybody smile, king's around, no sad days. Therefore, the king said to me, why is your face sad, uh-oh, since you are not sick, 
This is nothing but sorrow of heart, so I became dreadfully afraid. Why would he become totally petrified? Because you do not allow your sad, bad day to become evident to the most powerful man on the planet at that time. It might just tip him over and it'll be the end of your life. So he's dreadfully afraid and not unnecessarily so. It's not like he's just paranoid. No, this is legit. It's a scary thing. So now he has to dare to ask for huge help. He's prayed for this opportunity. He's prayed for the opportunity and the favor, and now he has it, and the king says, hey, you're not sick. Why are you sad? It's sorrow of heart. The Lord gives him insight. He gives him compassion. He actually cares about Nehemiah in this moment. Verse three, and said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies in waste, and its gates are burned with fire. Then the king said to me, what do you request? I love this. So I prayed to the God of heaven. Now, how did he have, did he have to go somewhere to pray? No, it's like one of those instant, like the, the, the nanosecond prayer, you ever have those? <laughs> it's the prayer when you're going down the road in Idaho and it's really slick and you lose control at 70 miles an hour. And you're like, Jesus, help me! It's like that moment that you're just, in his heart, he just said, God help me. God, I need your help right now. How do I put this into words, what I want? Because he, he's point blanks, asks him, what do you request? So I pray to the God of heaven. God, give me the right words. Help me say this. How often through your day, you're in a busy office maybe in work, maybe you have some challenging clients, maybe with family, how many times a day do you think you shoot up what I call these just arrow prayers? They just, right? You just have a thought go through your mind, like, help me right now, Lord, this is, and it doesn't come out of your mouth, it's just in your mind. It's just like, God, I need your help right now. Step into this situation. Sometimes people, through the years, I would be counseling somebody, and somebody's just unloading this very tangled spaghetti mess of a life. And all the time, I'm sitting there with a pleasant smile on my face, and in my mind, I'm going, God, help me. I have no clue what to tell this person. This is such a mess. Lord, can I just tell him, you know, <laughs> Romans 8, 28, everything's gonna work together for good. Let me know how it goes. You know, off it go. Because honestly, things are not always that simple. But we need, God's prayer, we need God's help, and the way we get that help is by asking. The Lord, Jesus, including, uh, encouraging us in our prayer life, he said, you know, if you ask of me for my help, you'll receive it. If you seek my guidance, you'll find it. If you knock on the door of the opportunity, I will open to you the ones that I want to have open to you. God wants to be in such a relationship with you, as he told David, after David went through a very stubborn time and a time of real sin in his life, he told him in, as he's recovering from and repenting from the sin of Bathsheba and having Uriah killed and this big fat mess, in Psalm 32, there's two Psalms attributed to David during this time, Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. In Psalm 32, he pours out his heart of repentance and the Lord says, you know, David, I want to guide you with my eye. You know what that's like, right? If you have kids, you know what it's like to guide your children with your eye. I could look across the room, get my son or my daughter's attention, and with a look, they knew it was either approving or disapproving, stop doing what you're doing, or go, you know, whatever it might be. I went, remember one day in the lobby, my son's like 11, and it's, you know, people are greeting, we've got hundreds of people at church, I'm there in the lobby, and, and my son's about 20 feet away in a very packed lobby with three of his friends, and they're kung fu fighting, you know? It's, I mean, they're 11, they're just having fun, they're boys, right? And, but they're starting to bump into people in their, own, in their own little world. They're not paying attention. They're like, yeah, wah, yeah. And, and I'm just waiting. I'm talking, to, I'm listening to this person talking to me, but I'm waiting, looking across the lobby. And then in one of those moves, you know, my son's like, and he just happens to look at me, and I look at him. I don't, I don't do anything. I just look, and he goes, guys, we gotta go outside. And just, it, they just exit. It was a look that just said, get your rear end outside, have that much fun, but outdoors, please, go outside. So the Lord told David, he said, I wanna direct you with my eye. 
And that's that just gentle, sensitive way that you would be in tune with the Lord and you would sense his prompting in such a gentle way that it wouldn't be a big deal. And he tells David, he says, don't be, I want to guide you with my eye, but don't be like the, the horse that I have to have a bridle in its mouth. You see, a horse has a tendency to run away with people, right? Get ahead of their will. Any of you ever have a horse run away with you? Raise your hand. Everybody's always got a, you know, horse runaway story if they get around horses. And he said, I, I don't want to have to put a bit in your mouth so that I, you get ahead of my will. And I don't want to put a bridle on you like a donkey because a donkey's stubborn and will resist my will. So one is holding back from doing God's will and the other is getting ahead of God's will. And the Lord says, you know, I'd just like to direct you with my eye. Wouldn't that be great just to be directed so gently by the Lord? And here in this passage of scripture, as Nehemiah is pouring out his heart and he's praying to God and he's asking for this favor in this moment, he's just asking the Lord, Lord, use this guy because this guy now is in the equation to give me help. But you gotta give me courage because I don't know about you, one of the hardest things in the world for me personally is to ask for help. Now, if other people need help, I have no problem helping. But to ask for help myself, that's harder. And Nehemiah is now gonna have to ask because he can't do anything without the king's help. He offers up and shoots this arrow prayer, Jesus help. In verse five, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Very direct, simple request. Then the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, how long will your journey be? And will, when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. He's prayed up. He's prayed for the opportunity for the door to open up. Here it is. I, don't, I think it surprised him that he, even on his own face, he had a sad expression, but that's what prompted it. And he goes, okay, I'm gonna step through this door. Allow me to go back to Jerusalem, to my hometown, and rebuild the walls of the city that I came from. And he goes, well, okay, how much time are you gonna need? I mean, this is, when God's favor's on you, it just seems like at every turn, things just go click, 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 click. And when you're not right with God, I, mean, I shouldn't say that, when God doesn't want you to go that direction, have you noticed that no, no matter what you try to do, it just, it feels like this, like nothing works. It's like you're in quicksand. You're up to, your eyeballs in mud, like you can't move ahead. But when God's favor's there, it is so gentle. I had a bunch of uh, ministry things to do. This was a couple of years ago. And I had meeting after meeting. And, and because of the new season of our life, my wife was with me in an unusual way to see all the things and all the meetings that I had to do. Now, because of this, and I had, I mean, some of them were major decisions, I had been fasting for a couple of days. So when I have difficult things to do, I just fast. And instead of eat, I pray and say, God, I need your help. I'd rather have your will and you to guide me with your eye than to actually have physical food. I need your help, so help me. And so I had done that, and then we went into the, this three days where I just had back-to-back business-type ministry situations with multiple people involved, packed into a very narrow window of three days. And because I had fasted and I had prayed and I just sought the Lord, God, it wasn't me in any kind of wisdom, but every single meeting, the time frame of things and how they worked and the favor God gave me, it just went click, 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 click. I mean, three days in a row. And at the end of each day for three days, my wife said, whoa. She said, is it always this easy for you and all these things? I said, absolutely not. Not when I don't pray, not when I don't fast. But I said, when I fast and pray like this, this is what my life's like. God's incredible favor to make things fall into place in a way that you humanly could not make it happen. You just couldn't. There's no way for Nehemiah to make this happen, physically. <laughs> so, He's already asked to go to Jerusalem. He's already got the time frame. He's gonna be in Jerusalem a while to rebuild these walls. But he's even gonna ask bigger now. God's given him favor. He's gonna now swing for the fence. You guys know that famous story of, of Babe Ruth when he points at the wall where he's gonna, he points, he's gonna send the baseball over that field and then he does exactly what he said he's going to do. It's like swing for the fence. 
The psalmist said, in Psalm 81, I think verse 10, he said, the Lord spoke to him and said, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. What's he mean by that? What's the Lord say? Hey, he wants you to open your mouth wide and I'll fill it. He means bring to me your huge requests, like opening your mouth really big with these ginormous requests, and I'll fill it. I'll answer it. I'll work. Now, he's going to work according to his will, not always according to our will, and he's going to work according to his timing, not always our timing. And sometimes he's going to say no to, because sometimes we open our mouth wide towards a request that is outside of what he wants for us. But the reality is a child of God that is growing in faith discovers how to open their mouth wide and ask huge things from God and watch him work. And that's what Nehemiah does here. He opens his mouth wide in verse 7. Furthermore, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river, that they must, I love this, that they must permit me to pass through till I come to Judah, and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he must give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, which pertains to the temple, for the city wall, and for the house that I will occupy. And the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. He says, not only do I want a letter from you, king, with your seal on it, that gives me safe passage all the way there, but when I arrive, I want a similar letter with the king's seal saying, I can have whatever timber from the king's forest to rebuild the temple, to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, and to rebuild a house that I'm going to live in. He said, I want an unlimited Home Depot card to go to Jerusalem, right? And, and I also want a, a passport because oftentimes when you, you know, in ancient times going through, it's... There's really nothing new under the sun. You go across borders, and to get across those borders, oftentimes with corrupt people and corrupt governments, you have to bribe everybody all the way across there. And it's, it's really the pits. And so he's asking for really two big um, letters with permission for exactly what he needs. He's also going to end up taking, um, I mean, he has a, an escort, basically, that, that takes him there. Now, this is so different. Because Ezra, when he went back at Cyrus's command, Ezra was embarrassed to ask for soldiers to protect them because they had all this gold and all of the implements from the temple. And he's like, it said he felt he couldn't ask the king because he just told the king how big his God was so he couldn't ask for this help. Nehemiah has no problem with that. He's like, I want a letter, big passport. I want a Home Depot card that's limitless. We're going to go swing for the fence. You know, some of us have not because we're asking not. That's what James says. You have not because you're not, not asking. And when you do ask, you ask amiss. Because it always has to be surrendered to God's will, right? I, when I pray, I'm always like, but Lord, you know what's best. The Lord and I have a deal. He's awesome and brilliant and wise, and I'm stupid and short-sighted. So I'm like, Lord, I'm praying about this, but... If this is not good for me, please intercede for me and keep me from just endangering myself or my family with my uh, blundering ways and requests. You can never go wrong with humbling yourself before God and confessing that, you know, you don't know what tomorrow holds, right? Some of us are cruising through this life right now and, and making decisions. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. And James says, that's okay for you to do, but you should say, I'm going to go here and do that, Lord willing. Lord willing. You're Lord willing. Because there's a reality, you know, it's like, it's like the, <clears throat> this godly farmer and an ungodly farmer were neighbors. The one just absolutely wanted nothing to do with God. The other one just praised God every day for every day that was a gift from God. And the ungodly farmer's walking down the road by him, and he's got a rope in his hand. And uh, he looked at him and said, hey, where are you going? He goes, I'm going to buy me a mule. And he said, well, brother, shouldn't you say, Lord willing, you're going to buy me a mule? And he said, no, the Lord has nothing to do with it. I'm going to buy me a mule. And he goes, okay. So the guy comes. About an hour later, he comes. <laughs> 
He comes back and he's all beat up. He has no rope. He's been robbed. He has no money. And the guy says, what happened? And he said, oh, I got robbed by thieves. I lost, they stole my money. They stole my rope. They beat me up. And he goes, well, where are you going now? He goes, I'm going home. Lord willing. <laughs> Changed his whole perspective, right? I'd like, I'd like to get all the way home. And I'd like to invite the Lord into that process. And Nehemiah realizes that this is a situation that cannot come together and cannot connect the dots without God working. Many people really do not experience the full abundant life that God has for them because they are simply so timid in their prayer life and their faith is so small that they never really ask the Lord for all that's in their heart and begin to pursue it. And trusting him, it's okay. Swing for the fence with your request. He can say no, he can say wait, he can say yes. But surrendering, and that's when you begin to live the full Christian life. When you can have a reckless abandon, not in your activity, but a reckless abandon of faith and prayer with the Lord, and then receiving from him the permission to move forward to the right or the left into the things that God has for you. Oftentimes through the years, having situations like this, um, where you're just praying with other people. We'd pray on our ministry team, and I'd say, hey, let's pray for this. And, and I had one of those perspectives, because I grew up pretty poor, and uh, I, you know, they say being broke and poor is two different things, right? Being broke, you just don't have any money right now, but being poor is a mindset. And I grew up poor with a, that mindset. And, uh, and so I always, when I was doing ministry, the Lord seemed to be constantly trying to teach me that I didn't have to have that mindset because he's a big God. And we were looking at a property, any of you who shop at a Winco, there's one over in Oxnard, but uh, they used to be called uh, Wearmarts and before they changed their names. And there was a Wearmart that was kind of this old red uh, rundown metal building. And it had about, uh, you know, it had some parking and stuff. We were going to move from a storefront into this Winco building. But it was really in a dumpy part of town. It was a dumpy building. It was just kind of slumming it. But for me, I'm like, oh, we'll fix it up. That's the way I grew up. Like, you know, let's slum it. <laughs> I used to go, drive my wife around to all these homes, and I it would be a vacant lot. I'd say, we used to live in a house there, but now it's a vacant lot because it got condemned right after we moved out. <laughs> and they, they just scrape and tear the thing down. Anyway, so I was praying about this Wearmart building, and, and it just closed down. The Lord just closed down the deal, and I'd been praying, and, but we had bought this other piece of property. I don't know, it was just town. But to build news, really, I mean, it's, it's expensive. Taking a grain field, we ended up buying a grain field, you know, 27 acres. And, uh, but just having the faith to build everything brand new was a big lift for me. I was really discouraged, and I'm walking around out in this field, and I'm kicking stones, and I'm just, I mean, if anybody, they had just harvested the grain, it was in the summertime, and it's like stubble out there, and I'm way back away from the road so nobody can hear me or really see what I'm doing, but I'm having a pity party out in the field. And I'm kicking stones and like, Lord, we've been praying now for a couple years and we really want to, you know, reach this town for you and we're stuck in this little storefront and I was really discouraged. And that, that Wearmark building seemed like a great deal and you close the doors, it doesn't seem to matter where we look. Now the building I looked at before that was this old uh, junior high school that the pigeons had taken care of, uh, over and when you walk through it, there was about, you know, uh, two inches of guano in the thing. It was like awful, awful. But once again, I'm like, hey, give us the poopy building. That would be great. Right? Because I, I don't think God can have new stuff for me because I just grew up poor. So I'm out in the field. I'm having a pity party, and the Lord just spoke to me crystal clear. He said, you only have faith for junk. And I'm kicking these stones, and I'm like, so? <laughs> like, yeah, I, yeah, I only have faith for junk because that's the way I grew up. You just make junk the best you can. And the Lord continued. He just spoke to my heart. He said, I want to do something beautiful for my people. I want to do something good for my people. 
I want you to build something brand new here on this property. And so I, I turned to corner, so I'm like, I went from this pity party to being shocked that the Lord's telling me, hey, step out in faith and do this. And there are those, you know, depending on your background, cessationists that don't believe God really talks to you anymore. I've been walking with Jesus like 35, 36. Jesus talks to me. And it's not like every day like this kind of crystal clear thing. But when he gives me these thoughts that are, I, I know that they're from him and it's this clear communication. And so we're having this communication out in this field. And, and I said, well, pff, brand new in this field, Lord. That's going to be really expensive. So you better open up your wallet. I guess we're going to do this thing. And I went into the board meeting that next week, absolutely filled with faith, because as I was wrestling with the Lord in prayer about a situation, I really did not have the boldness and the courage that I see in a Nehemiah like this to swing for the fence and to ask God to do big things in my life. Because deep down until the Lord confronted me, I really never understood that I had a poor mentality and I just didn't really believe that God wanted to do Nice things for me. And I think a lot of people get stuck in this place that you look at your resources or maybe where you came from and, and you're so limited, but when you're walking with the Lord, the children in the Old Testament, it says that they limited the Holy One of Israel by their unbelief. Psalm 78. They limited the Holy One of Israel because of their unbelief. Do you know that your life may be being lived out in the most limited way possible and it's because of your own belief, unbelief, that you really don't believe God wants to do something cool for you? Now, the awesome thing is, is God is no respecter of persons. As God brought me through that lesson, so often we're in a situation with my wife and I'm like, hey, God might want to do something cool here. Let's pray about, you know, whatever it is and see what God will do. And so often, God comes through and just blows our minds with his goodness. You see, it's not based on my merit. It's based on a childlike faith that trusts God to work the way he wants to work in my life. And that's what he wants to do for you. Now, Nehemiah is now, God's spirit is stirring him up. He's been praying for a couple of months, and he's been brought to this place that he gets to be a part of rebuilding his nation for his people and to be a servant with God in that process because there's literally nothing more rewarding than having a relationship with God and being a part of his plan and being useful. There's just nothing more thrilling than that. And Nehemiah gets to be a part of that. And you know the Lord invites all of us to be a part of his kingdom and building up his kingdom and even at this period of time to rebuild the nation which has to start with the house of the Lord and the people of the Lord but then beginning to raise up an entire generation that is refreshed, restored, redeemed, renewed to be salt and light to share with others how they can be a free people, they can be a free community, they can be a free family in the grace of God. This rebuilding that we outlined in this first two chapters of Nehemiah, just to review it as we close. Rebuilding a nation, the reality that motivates you to action. Entreat God for his help. Brokenness is the doorway to repentance. Understanding God's uh, increases faith. And understanding God's promises, that should say, increases faith. Intercede for opportunities. Pray that God gives you these open doors of opportunity. Launch your mission when the door opens because oftentimes you prayed for it, here comes the opportunity and you get terrified and you run from it. Oh, I'm not gonna step out there. Isn't that what you prayed for? Yes, it is, but oh, it's too scary now. Step out when God gives you that open door and dare to ask for huge help. Dare to ask for huge help and watch what God's gonna do. I feel for whatever reason, God does this in seasons of our life, that this year, I believe that God wants to do some special things in this congregation for his people. I don't know how that's gonna, what that looks like. I don't know how he's gonna do it. I don't know how he's gonna move. But I'm so filled with a faith and anticipation of what God's gonna do. Because the cool thing is, you see, it's not, you don't have to be the sharpest knife in the drawer to touch, 
to trust God. Isn't that cool? Right? I'm not the smartest guy in the room. But you know what? I trust the one that is. And as long as I'm trusting him, everything's going to be okay. He's got good things in store for each one of us. Let's pray. Father, we ask that by your spirit and your grace, that you would do a work here tonight in the hearts of your people. Lord, that we might be able to open our mouth wide and you promise you'll fill it. Lord, fill it with your perfect will. Fill it with your desire. Lord, put your desires within our hearts. You tell us that when we delight ourselves in you, you will give us the desires of our heart. But Lord, we have discovered that delighting in you aligns our heart with you so that those desires are what you wanted all along. And I just pray for those who are here that may be struggling right now. Lord, they're really wondering if you are going to move and grace them with the goodness that you've promised that you will withhold no good thing from those who trust in you. Lord, I just pray that you'd open the windows of heaven in this year and that you would pour out your blessing on those who are here tonight, that they would sense your favor, that they would sense your heart, that you would be leading and guiding and directing. Lord, may you direct us with your eye in such a gentle way. We thank you for all that you're going to do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Light in the darkness, I want hope for the hopeless and rest for the weary mind. And you've got truth for the taking, but my heart won't be shaken if today be the day that I die. Whoa, 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 whoa. Time's trouble, I keep my heart seeking you. Oh, I will keep my heart seeking you. Whoa, 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 whoa. I will keep my heart seeking.